For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, 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 it's Bud Albert, and I'm going to sing a song for you. coming at you with music and fun and if you're not careful you may learn something before it's done so let's get ready okay hey 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 hello and welcome to who will save generation x Trivia game show that's dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I'm Zabe, your host, and today I am so excited to be here playing the game live on the Podcast Summit. It has been a great day so far, enjoying all these shows, and we're honored to be closing down the day uh, this evening. So thanks so much for to Jeff and the other organizers of the Podcast Summit. It is thrilled to be among you this evening. Uh, I'd also like to say a special hello to our regular listeners of the podcast, our Patreon supporters and friends of the show joining us tonight, as well as those who might be experiencing the show for the first time this evening. Hello! Hello! For those who might be new to the show, who, who Will Save Generation X Trivia Game Show podcast has two versions of the show. The regular version has two best friends as guests playing against one another. The stakes are that the show not only is saving the memories of Generation X pop culture for future generations, but the winner also receives a chance to get a fabulous prize, which in reality is just me placing uh, bids of random Gen X stuff on my eBay watch list on the winner's behalf. If I win the auction, then they win the prize. So we have some really weird and cool stuff in the prize vault sometimes, and it's a lot of fun. The other version of the show is a single player game that the listeners can play against at home. We call that the home game. We are doing a version of that home game here tonight, which is normally a fun size version of the regular podcast. But today we're having, since we have an hour to fill for the podcast summit, the normally fun size version of the show, we're going to do a super size version of the fun size show. So both versions of the show is a trip through time as we, we revisit the cool stuff of our youth and we tell jokes, share stories listen to, to sound bites and remember things that have been buried deep within our brains. It's good times. Dynamite! So here's how we play. Unlike the regular edition of the podcast, we have four rounds of trivia and games for you to play. Each episode, we invite a special guest and let them set the benchmark score for you to try and beat at home. Each round has a different game for you to try out. And at the end, you can compare your score with that of our special guest benchmark and earn your rank on the quiz. Our special guest this episode is a personal friend of mine. He's our group ambassador for our Facebook group and an all-around good dude. Please welcome to the show my friend, Robert. Let's meet him now. I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. <laughs> hey, Robert. 
Thanks so much for being here, buddy. Thank you for inviting me. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you. So let's just get to know you just a little bit. Can you uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, what generation you're from, and any thoughts or feelings you have about setting the benchmark score that they're going to have to try and beat as they listen? Sure. I am firmly Generation X. I'm actually one of the earlier years in Generation X, as I was born in 1969, dudes. So I'm one of your older Generation Xers. Uh, Thoughts about setting the benchmark tonight. I have no idea what you are planning for me, but rather than be afraid, I look forward to the challenge. And I just hope I give the people what they want, like the OJs used to say. So. <laughs> well, you've never let me down, buddy. So I'm I'm sure we're going to have a good show. And, you know, even if we don't, you know, who's really listening anyways? So let's just roll with it. Wow. 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 <laughs> we just went to embrace the whole, oh, come, I hug you, audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like Euchre in Major League. <laughs> Just a bit outside. So let's see if you can outscore my buddy's vast knowledge of Generation X, or if you need to brush up on your Gen X pop culture. There are a total of 29 points available in this episode. Keep track of your score, and I'll let you know how well you did versus our special guest benchmark at the end of the episode. So that's enough chatting about it. Let's do it. Hold on. Hold on. It's time to see if you can save Generation X from fading into oblivion. Round one. Round one is our trivia round consisting of five questions in the television category. The questions will get more difficult as we go through the round. Each complete correct answer is worth two points. If you think that you can convince the judges into giving you a partial credit for your answer, if you think it's kind of close enough, you know, uh, you can award yourself one pity point for a partial correct answer. We'll use the honor system on this one here. So good luck. Here's question one for you, Rob. Bring it. The new Scooby-Doo movies was an animated mystery television series produced by Hanna-Barbera for CBS. It was the second animated TV series in the Scooby-Doo universe and the only hour-long Scooby-Doo series in the franchise. Aside from doubling the length of each episode, the new Scooby-Doo movies differed from its predecessor in the addition of a rotating special guest star slot. Each episode featured a real-world celebrity or well-known animated characters joining the gang in solving mysteries. Here's the question. Which guest star appeared in the new Scooby-Doo movies TV show the most? This is a multiple choice. Okay. Is it A, the Harlem Globetrotters? Is it B, Phyllis Diller? C, Batman and Robin? Or D, Don Knotts? Let's see. I know Batman and Robin were there at least twice. I'm going to go with A, the Harlem Globetrotters. I swear I remember them being there three times. A. That is correct. Well done. The Harlem Globetrotters appeared in the most of the show. Uh, three episodes, by the way. I'm, I'm, impressed, I'm impressed that you knew Batman and Robin was on twice. That's pretty impressive. Most impressive. Uh, the episodes that they're in was called The Mystery of the Haunted Island, The Loch Ness Mess, and The Ghostly Creep from the Deep. The Great Don Knotts was sadly only in one episode of the show. However, I'm guessing when you're trying to solve a mystery, having Mr. Furley along isn't going to be the biggest help. <laughs> Just ask Jack Tripper. You think it was any help when they had Jerry Reed along the one time either? You know, Dude, it's like a who's who of like our grandparents stars. When you look at those, it's like, or maybe our parents, I don't know. But old people <laughs> were on that show a grip. Anyways, let's go to question number two. Let's go. 
On the TV show Knight Rider is the story of Michael Knight, played by David Hasselhoff, fighting crime with his bulletproof Trans Am car kit. Michael Knight faces with faces off with many different villains throughout the show, but arguably the greatest villain he ever faced was when he had to stop his evil twin from stealing missiles from a military base. What is the name of Michael Knight's evil twin brother? This is also a multiple choice, so don't get scared. Is it A, Wilton Knight? B, Wayne Knight? C, Garth Knight? Or D, Gladys Knight? (laughs) I don't remember the pips trying to steal any of the missiles, so I'm going to take that one right out of the way. Um, I'm going to go with C, Garth Knight. Garth Knight is correct. Well done. That's another because two if points. If I remember correctly, Wilton Knight was the guy who actually brought Michael into the whole thing in the beginning. It wasn't me. That leads me right into the fun fact. Well done. Oh, I, I ruined it. <laughs> Welcome to live. Thanks for stealing my fun fact. It's live. This is how you know. Garth Knight is the correct answer. Wilton Knight was the owner of Kit. He's like the the leader of uh, Flag, I believe is the name of the organization that they they worked for. But when Wilton Knight rescued Michael Knight after being shot in the face, he arranged Michael to get plastic surgery and repair the damage. The surgeons reconstructed Michael's face to look exactly like Wilton's son, Garth, for some reason. And the result was Michael and Garth becoming identical twins. You know, that that old storyline, right? David Hasselhoff played both roles on the show. And no. Oh, yeah, yeah. They went all out. <laughs> the only way to tell them apart was that when Garth was on screen, the Hoff was sporting a mustache and a soul patch. Otherwise, it was 100% grade A Hasselhoff. Uh, it was better when they had the two Kirks on Star Trek and the other one had heavier <laughs> eyeliner than the other one. Right, right. But I suppose that trope was used. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, come on. It's the same same trope, right? yeah. Eyeliner for everyone. (laughs) Here we go on to question number three. I'm feeling good. In the 70s and 80s sitcom classic Mork and Mindy, we follow Robin Williams' character Mork as he learns about the human condition and makes a life with his human love interest Mindy. In the season four, we learn that Mindy gets Mork pregnant and he lays an egg through his navel, if you can believe that. The egg continues to grow until it hatches and comes out out Mork and Mindy's son. Who played Mork from Ork's son? That's the question. So we have, again, multiple choice to make it easy for you, Rob. Is it A, Jonathan Winters? B, Richard Lewis? C, Don Rickles? Or D, Dom DeLuise. I wish it had been Don Rickles. I would have paid to have seen that now that I think about it. But, and I won't go too far into this, so I don't take another fun fact away from you by accident. <laughs> no, let it fly, man. Fun facts uh, will, will fall as they may. Mort's son, Mirth, was played by A, Jonathan Winters. That is correct. That's another two points for you. You're sweeping the game so far. Uh, Jonathan Winters played Mirth, as you said, who was the son of Mork and Mindy. 
The 57-year-old was a mentor to Robin Williams, and since Orkin's age backwards, Winters was the obvious choice to play his son, despite the fact that Jonathan Winters already played a different character in the show in the previous season. Richard Lewis auditioned for the part of Mork, just ahead of Robin Williams. He was told to come up with a, a, a funny alien voice for the character, but the best that Richard Lewis could come up with was a, a Danish accent. <laughs> he stopped in the middle of his audition and said, you know, Robin Williams is next to audition. He is Mork. And if he doesn't get this, then you're all crazy. Uh, Richard Lewis was always a bit self-deprecating to our, to our betterment, I think, right? The world's better plough with having Robin Williams as Mork, I believe. Can you imagine Richard Lewis as the most neurotic alien in the history of <laughs> mankind? It's Earth. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He was better off with Jamie Lee Curtis later. Thank you. <laughs> Here is question number four. You are perfect so far. Let's see if you can keep the streak going. During the June 8th and June 11th, 1984 episodes, a contestant named Michael Larson beat the Press Your Luck system on his way to winning over $110,000 in cash and prizes, which at the time was the largest payout of any game show. The Press Your Luck scandal involved the unemployed ice cream truck driver from Ohio spending months studying the light patterns of the big board and discovered a couple squares always offered it extra spins and never had any whammies. On the first spin of the first round, Larson screwed up and did hit a whammy, but he recovered in a big way. Here's the question. How many whammy-free spins did Michael Larson use on his way to set his shady record? This is also multiple choice. Is it A, 46 spins, B, 56 spins, C, 60, or D, 69? 69, dudes! Ah, uh, it wouldn't be a show without the low-hanging fruit of 69. Um, it's a good question. That is, that is a really good question, actually. Is this one going to actually be 69, though, Robert? No, I don't think so. I mean, he pretty much knew exactly where the big buck square was every time because it was a series of one, two, three, four, five, and he could just smack it. Uh, and by the way, for point of reference, he hit that whammy on purpose the first time just to throw suspicion off himself. Um, Didn't work, bro. Well, it worked for a while until he lost all his matches or whatever. But anyway, I'm going to have to take a guess here because I really don't know. I'm going to go with B, 56. 56 is incorrect. I'm sorry. You missed out on that one. Eh, it's going to happen. Yeah. He ended up taking 46 whammy free spins. Wow. Right. Yeah. Racking up a lot of dough and alarming the producers. Although the producers knew he had participated in some foul play, they still allowed him to keep all of his winnings. With those 47 total spins, the episode became so long that it had to be split up into two episodes. Larson squandered his cash winnings on failed get-rich-quick schemes until his final $50,000 in cash was stolen, I believe out of his mattress, as you said, from his house while he was away at a Christmas party. Merry Christmas, huh? Uh, as a result, however, he lost all of his winnings within the first two years of, of the show's taping. Later, he fled to Ohio, where he was under investigation for perpetrating a fraud scheme, where he was found to be living in Florida as a Walmart assistant manager. Sorry, Mike. It's also why they set a $25,000 limit after that on the yeah, show. So. Right. Right. Another fun yeah. fact. Try again. Not this time. <laughs> hey, I missed one. You people out there have a lot more hope right now. You know that. <laughs> okay. Here's question number five. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. 
Generation X and MTV go together like Turner and Hooch. Early Generation Xers were around for the birth of MTV. But do you remember the names of the five original MTV VJs? I'll think you're cool if you can name all five. But if you get three out of five, then that's enough for the two points. Okay. Martha Quinn. J.J. Jackson. Alan Hunter. Mark Goodman. Anita Blackwood. Hey, Robert, you know what? what? I think you're I think you're cool. Well done, because that's that's all five. That's amazing. Well done. That gives you eight points in the round out of a possible ten. You're doing outstanding. Hope they're doing as well out there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll read the fun fact first. <laughs> <laughs> the five VJs that kicked off the MTV are, as you said, Mark Goodman and all his mini curls, followed by the original VJs of the clean cut Alan Hunter. Rocker Chick Nina Blackwood, Classic Radio Jock, J.J. Jackson, and The Girl Next Door in Martha Quinn. The only place MTV was available at first were only a few thousand households in New Jersey. It was such an unknown channel at the time that it wasn't even carried at the, with the cable company in New York City where the show was being taped. And the MTV staff had to rent a school bus and take him to Manhattan to a, a restaurant in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Those of us who grew up watching music videos on MTV know that it was a special time in history that will never be repeated and it's a shame that they replaced the videos with so much produced content on the channel later in the 90s still we should be thankful that we had it when we did and it was certainly one of the cool things that helped define generation x man yeah. i i miss it i miss it i'm not gonna lie i yeah i mean i don't know if the videos would be as up to snuff these days but well, first of all, you know my love of classic music videos. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how much life was wasted, but was it really <laughs> wasted in the long run? Well, when we were growing up, we were watching like a regular show, and then you had like the, the back or the previous button on the remote control. So whenever the show you were watching went to commercial, we clicked the black button, mm -hmm. and it would go to MTV, and we watched like a, one and a half music videos or something, then we click it back after the commercial went over. And uh, that, that's how I watched and digested a lot of my MTV back in the day. And the next time people give Jersey crap too, Jersey, I should be like, yeah, we had MTV before you get that. You know? that's, a, that's a fair <laughs> point. That's a fair point. Let's move on to round two. Round two. Round two today is a game called Second Guessing. In this game, players must guess the title and artist of a popular Generation X song, but they only get to listen to the first second of the song. Oh. Yeah. There are five songs in total, and you'll be awarded one point for artist and one point for title for a total of 10 points in the round. So I'll play each clip twice, and then you give me your answer, okay? I will do my best, sir. All right. So here's song number one. It's a classic from 1985. Let's see if you can get this song. One more time. I just picture a house spilling popcorn out of every window. <laughs> Everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears. Let's listen to the reveal and find out. That is correct, Robert, for two points. Well done. You know, this song was a last-minute addition to the band's second album. In fact, Chris Hughes and Roland, also known by nobody as Tears and Fears, <laughs> both expressed indifference towards the hit. Hughes went even so far as to call it bland as hell. 
Despite the songwriter's less than enthusiastic attitude towards the song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World was awarded best single at the 1986 Brit Awards, which, you know, is that really a big deal? Like, do we know if that's some sort of accomplishment or not? I'm sure it is to the Brits. I'm sure it is too, but I'm, I don't really know. You know? Well, I know how so, much you love your three UK listeners, so, you know. Yeah, well, maybe one of our three UK listeners can shed a little light on this. I'm still waiting to hear from one of them uh, an email to the show or something. It's going to happen someday. Maybe someday. they're busy organizing the Brit Awards. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, so that's two more points. Let's move on to song two. Song two okay. is from 1982. Artisan title, please, of this song. One more time. The mental images that come into mind of a man and his chili dog are absolutely horrifying. Jack and Diane by, and we'll just get all the names in there, John Cougar Mellencamp. Let's listen to Reveal. Well done, Robert, once again. That's another two points for you. According to John Mellencamp, the clapping in Jack and Diane was supposed to be removed from the final edit and was only included to help the band keep time. Later, he decided that it was an improvement to the track and decided to leave it in. The Coog clearly knew what he was doing, though I think we can all agree that any song that includes the line, sucking on chili dogs, yeah. is already perfect and cannot be improved in any way at all. Wow, that wasn't the direction I thought you were going to go with that at all. Um... Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog. <laughs> chili dog. Sucking on a 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 chili dog. Chili dog. That's two more points for you. Let's move on to song number three. Song number three was released in the United Kingdom in 1987 and in the United States in 1988. Let's see if you can get this one. One more time. That just seems so backwards. It really does. I guess England England got lucky before we did, really, because that whole album, I don't care what anybody says, that album is a masterpiece. That is Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. That is another correct answer. You're perfect in this round as well so far. Here's the fun fact. The largest jungle on Earth is the Amazon rainforest, which is home to one of the largest species of snakes on Earth, the anaconda. And this, one can only assume, is what Axel meant by my serpentine, because what else could he possibly be talking about? So well done. On to next to song number four. I shaved off the first few seconds of this opening song. Otherwise, it would be just too hard, I think. But okay. it is from 1972. Okay. Oh, okay. More, more in your timeline, bro. I was three. <laughs> I wasn't born yet. Back before you were born, remember? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, okay. let's see if you can get the uh, artisan title after hearing one second of this song from 1972. One more time. What do you got? Ooh, you know, if you believe in things you don't understand, then you know it's Stevie Wonder with superstition. Let's hear it out. Lay that funk, man. Well done, Robert. That is another point or two points for you. Oh, man. You're going to ask a guy from Michigan about a Detroiter. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, I know your love of Motown and, uh, you know, you're, you're from from Detroit or just live in Michigan? I'm about seven or eight suburbs out from Detroit, but it's maybe only half an hour away. I was just there last week, so. Well, a lot closer than me here in Utah. Just a bit, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things you don't understand, a popular conspiracy theory is that Stevie Wonder isn't actually blind. This urban legend seemed to be based off a handful of anecdotes told by celebrities like Boy George, Donald Glover, and even Shaquille O'Neal. Though it seems very tongue-in-cheek, whether it's true or not, we should probably keep in mind that superstition ain't the way. So here we go. Sorry, you got something to say? Just funk for everyone. Oh, yeah. It's free. Well, no, it's not, but okay. But can't it's worth fake. it. It it may or may not be free, but you can't be you can't fake the funk. We know that though. No, sir. Right. Okay, here we go to the last song in the round. This is song number five. Uh our, our final song of the round is from 1992. Artisan title of this great song. I am One more time. I am Ooh. Oh, did we stump him? You might. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Uh, okay, I'm going to say it's Surfing Flamingo by Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Let's do the reveal and find out if you're right. You know it now, Robert? That's okay. I expected a challenge from you. There you go. Well, they, they get, are you they, sure it wasn't Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters, though? Are you? Judges? Yes, they're sure. They don't even know who they are. I saw Captain Geach with seven people in a club outside of San Francisco. <laughs> are you saying Stone Temple Pilots covered the song Dead and Bloated from Captain Geach? No, I'm saying that I know better than to say I don't know on this show. That's what okay. I'm saying. That, that's a good point. I mean, for those that don't know, we have a rule that every question must be given an answer, just like in the old show. You can't do that on television saying I don't know has consequences. And uh, in this show, the consequences, you'll get a point taken away and you'll also get slimed. And if any of you out there actually know who Captain Geach is, I love you guys. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a good poll. <clears throat> Google it or ask. Yeah. Your <laughs> OK, let's move on to round number three. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape. 
or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Round three. Round three yeah. this episode. <laughs> Round three this episode is a game we call In a World Coming Soon. In a World Coming Soon. In this game, I'll play selected parts of a movie trailer from Generation X, and you need to tell me which movie it is a preview for. There are clips from three movies, and you'll get one point each if you can name them correctly. Okay? I love this game. I absolutely love that you came up with this. All right. Well, let's see how much you love it after we hear these. <laughs> Here we go. Here's movie number one. Uh, you get a, you do get a clue. It's from 1986, and IMDb calls this an an action adventure comedy. Okay? okay. Movie number one. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of magic? The darkest magic. It's where big trouble was waiting. They told him to go to hell. And that's just where he's going. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? What movie is that, Jeff? Or Jeff! Robert! Robert. I'm asking Jeff backstage. Do we do we well, mention that this is live? Do we do we bring that up? Okay. Well, Bob, if I'm gonna have to guess, <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess that it's my favorite John Carpenter movie of all time, Big Trouble in Little China. Judges, let's do the reveal. 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes. Well done, Robert. You got another point there. That movie's a masterpiece. Oh, oh yeah. People give it crap sometimes. I've seen that on from time to cool. time. But who? Yeah, well, who are those people? I will fight them. I mean, people with are poor they taste, right? Okay. <laughs> if they're well, bigger than me, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go high, I'll go low. We'll take them out together. But if the check yeah. is in the mail. <laughs> Here's the fun fact about Big Trouble in Little China. Throughout James Hong's prolific career, he continues to pull inspiration from this iconic role as Lo Pan in Big Trouble in Little China. In fact, in an interview earlier this month, he said, there is almost always a facet of Lo Pan in the characters that I play. This is no small statement as Hong, who has over 400 acting roles in his career so far. I wish he would have had a bit of Lo Pan in him when he made Chinatown. That would have been really awesome, man. <laughs> Yeah. The most evil butler ever. <laughs> For sure. Killer movie. Uh, yeah. Here's movie number two. All right. And this is from 1985. And IMDb calls this a romantic comedy. Let's see if you can get this one. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? That everyone is smart. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? And that nobody even cares? Well, you might be right. What movie is that from? 
Wow, I don't remember that particular promo, but I'm going to take a guess just based off to the con- based off the content, and I'm going to guess better off dead. Let's hear the reveal and see if you're right. But remember one thing: go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Nobody was ever better off dead. He's skiing on one ski. Better off dead. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. An abnormal look at a normal teenager. Well done, Robert. That's another point for you. That was indeed better off dead. When writer, when the film's writer and director Savage Steve Holland really did have a paper boy named Johnny Garaspari, if I'm pronouncing that right, who knows, who really did harass him for payment uh, when he was growing up. He really did have the paper boy, if you remember the movie well. No word on where the real Johnny is today, but we hope that he eventually got his $2. Johnny. Four weeks, 20 papers, that's $2 plus tip. Gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. $2. (laughs) Well done, Robert. And, and don't forget, you actually have a throwback now because Savage Steve Holland also created the whammies on Press Your Luck, which you asked right. about earlier. Ah, it all comes circle. Play the shrimp like Repo Man, man. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to go to movie three. Movie three is from 1980, and Ooh. IMDb calls it an action-adventure comedy. Here's the last one of the round. Let's see if you can get this one. Hit it. Two men with a mission, and only 11 days. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now. For me and the Lord, you got an understanding. How are you going to raise $5,000 in 11 days without ripping off somebody? See two guys come in here, black suits, black hats, one carrying a briefcase? Yeah, I just sent them down there. Thank you. Okay, Rob, what do you got? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I'm sorry. Even the preview is amusing, just on its own, with no video or anything. That is wonderful, the Blues Brothers. Here's the reveal. Juan Belushi. Yo, how much for your wife? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. After the gig, uh, maybe we could, like, hang out together. And the Blues Brothers Band. Let's go, boys. The Blues Brothers. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. Well done, Robert. You swept that round. You're currently at 19 points with one round remaining. No, 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 19. (laughs) That was indeed uh, the Blues Brothers. After its release in 1980, the Blues Brothers held the record for most cars destroyed in the course of production with 103. That could be a trivia question on itself. I guess. That seems low, actually, watching that movie. I know, I know. It's just one car crash after another. Uh, The sequel, Blues Brothers 2000, broke the previous record in 1998 by deliberately destroying one more car than the first movie. However, this record was eventually broken in 2009 by G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, 
We finally found something that Cobra Commander is good at, and that happens to be wrecking cars. Ah, And uh, get someone to fix that door. He must have got a life coach or something. (laughs) Good for Cobra Commander. All right. Good things are going his way. Small victories are big steps, my friend. (laughs) Yes, yes, I agree. I live by it. This is fun. You having a good time? I'm having a great time. I hope they are. How about you in the comments? You guys having a good time in the comments? We can't hear you, but we're, we're assuming you are. I'm, I'm going to think the best here. Okay, let's go into the final round of the game. This is round four. Round four. Round four today is a game that we call Senior Life. Robert, others sang your life, but now is your chance to sign, shine. Yeah, I screwed that one up. Uh, in this game. Not compared will... to what's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here we go. Maybe that's a little prophetic. In this game, I will play clips from a popular Gen X song, and you must sing the next lines until the judges are satisfied with your performance. Don't worry, though. If you've heard the judges sing on previous episodes, then you know that the bar is set pretty low here. There are three songs total to sing, and you will be awarded one point for singing the next line. And one bonus point for naming the band or artist who sang that song for a total of six points in the round. So if you're down on points right now, don't worry, because anything can still happen. So when I stop the music, Robert, that's when you have to keep singing and the song, you got to keep singing the song until you can't any longer or whenever the judges get tired of hearing you sing, whatever comes first, I guess. We will then appeal the judges to see if they are pleased with your knowledge of the song's lyrics. I would just like to apologize in advance to all of you who will be bleeding from the ears at the end of this segment. And for those of you who go insane during the course of this, I I had, I had somehow knew he was going to do this to me, but I am prepared and heaven help us all. Okay. Yeah. I, I think personally, this is the most difficult game we have on the podcast. Not only do you need to know the lyrics of the song, you also have to sing them, which can be, you know, a barrier for some people. Yeah, because cats fight with more harmony than I can usually muster, so... <laughs> Well, we'll find out. This is going to be fun. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Uh, This round could either make or break your final grade, Robert. So no pressure. Good luck. (laughs) Okay. Here's song number one. It's from the year of your birth, Robert. Oh, boy. Yeah. 1969 is the the year this song came out. Finish the lyrics and then give me the name of the artist played here. This is Major Tom to ground control. Now, see, the question is, did you use the single edit or the album version? So that's not the lyrics. You got to sing them. I know, but I know. I'm just trying to figure out. So here am I sitting in my tin can, far above the world. Planet Earth is blue, and there's nothing I can do. Let's go to the reveal and see how close you got. Judges, well done, Robert. They're going to give you two points for that. And if it's you David can tell Bowie. Me, 
Yeah, if you can tell me who it is, David Bowie is correct. Well done. Space Oddity. Yeah. Major Tom is one of David Bowie's iconic characters portrayed in his music. This character is his story. This character and his story would go on to inspire other artists to make pieces of music as well. Most notably, Peter Schilling's Coming Home. Bowie himself would re, re, re would re-reference Major Tom in his future work, including Ashes to Ashes and the title track to his final album, which was Black Star. Do you ever get that album, Robert? Yes, I did. I think I own everything Bowie ever did studio at the very least. So yeah, I got in him somewhere around the early nineties and then just the doors open. So that's funny. I was, I kind of was a late arrival to Bowie as well. I didn't get into him to the nineties as well. I was into the pop stuff in the eighties when everybody was, but when I started discovering like what else he was capable of, it was like, Oh, right. 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 The will is deep, man. Unfortunately, the well is dry. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> well, you got to bring us down, bro. <laughs> okay. This is the guy who was like, ah, who's listening anyway? At the big <laughs> I was trying to make you comfortable. So they you didn't feel like you're in front of a... <laughs> Okay, let's move on to song two. Okay. Song two is from 1982. Remember, when the music stops, you start. Here we go. Straddle the line between discord and rhyme. I'm on the hunt. I'm after you. Mouth is alive with juices like wine. And I'm hungry like the wolves. Let's go. Yeah! Let's go. <laughs> who, who sings that? Duran Duran. Let's go to the reveal and see how close you got. Well done, Robert. I would have totally, uh, I've heard that song a million times, but there's no way I would have got some of those, those lines. I didn't know well, he said discord and rhyme. Well, lucky I was thought he was rhyming wine with wine for some Lucky for me, you picked my favorite band ever. So, <laughs> oh, well, it's weird how that stuff works out, isn't it? <laughs> I got lucky. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> too bad you listening to me sing didn't. So, <laughs> well, Duran Duran was one of the most successful acts of the 1980s. And while their musical style contributed to this, it was the band's cinematic music videos that, with the help of MTV, brought them international success. The band had already had popular and controversial videos with Girls on Film and Rio, but Hungry Like the Wolf took it to the next level. MTV declared it the most played video on the network in 1982, and in 2001, VH, VH1 ranked it the 31st on the, their list of 100 greatest videos of all time. Cool. It is a great video. Uh, well, the director of most of those videos is Russell Mulcahy, who also did Highlander. So not to be confused with Father Mulcahy, who's a very different person. <laughs> okay. So, I Robert, think, we're... I think I'll go direct Highlander and some Duran Duran videos. 
That was the worst Father Mulcahy ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We'll edit this out. Let's go back to singing. I was better at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that should be the next game. You do an impression of a famous person. Anyways. Okay, here we go. You're sitting at 23 points. Robert, you're, you're, you're crushing it, as I thought you might. But here we go to the last bit of the last game of the night of this great song of a great artist. I hope everyone's had a great time at the podcast summit. We're going to wind this up with our, our last bit of trivia here. Uh, I'm sure you're going to know this song, Robert, but let's see if you can sing it. And on oh, no. a personal note, I hope we can still be friends after I play this song. Okay? I think I already know what it is, man. I don't <laughs> think you do. I, don't, I really don't think you do. But here we go. When this song ends, you begin. Don't think about it too much. Just roll with it, bro. Shrimp Shack Shooters, they're awesome, awesome. Go look up their concert stuff and listen. Yeah, I don't speak any foreign language, and they made up the words anyway. And I don't care about losing points because people out there are going to score more. Yay! <laughs> I've been looking forward to playing that song all day. Robert, I'll bet you have, you punk. <laughs> what artist is that from? <laughs> Thankfully, not me, Lionel Richie. Let's do the reveal. See how close you got to the actual lyrics. This close. Uh, this close, man. This song. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Judges, how close did he get? Oh, so close. Well, I was like one syllable off. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yes. John Did we mention that this is a live show and mistakes could happen? Did we My singing that? caused a malfunction, clearly. Yes, yes. Well, you did not get <laughs> that one quite correct. <laughs> Missed it by that much. However, like you that. kind of alluded to the fun fact again, and, <laughs> but we're going to roll with it. Did you know that the African sounding lyrics in All Night Long were made up by Lionel Richie? It's very true. So were mine. <laughs> this was well, mine weren't made up by Lionel Richie. I wish they were. <laughs> yeah, yours were mine, uh, made up by uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't the original plan to make up the lyrics. Richie even went so far as to call a friend in the United Nations to get some African phrases, but was told that it would take a few weeks as there are over 100 African dialects. Needing the lyrics right now, Richie just went right ahead and made up his own. Jumbo Jumbo to you as well, sir. Lionel Richie. Jumbo Jumbo indeed. Okay, so listeners, do you remember your score? Let's see how well you did. If you're playing against our special guest and scored less than 24 points, 
then you let this old dude beat you and he might want to go back and brush up on your memories of your youth. <laughs> Robert, first, thanks so much for, for lending your time and talents to the show. I really do appreciate it for you taking the time to be here. Robert, do you have a message for those listening who you beat today? Who I beat? Yeah. Don't take it to heart. Everybody has different specialties about them. Getting beat by me means nothing because not everything that I know now did I learn during the 80s. There is always time to find new things and absorb. So do not take that to heart. Uh, For the people that beat me, I want to party with you cowboys, cowgirls, and everybody in between because you sound awesome, I got to say. I'll second that. So... Robert, one last thing is, is there anything you'd like to plug or shout out before we leave and hand out the ranks for the quiz? Nothing to plug because I don't have any new material right now that I've come up with Royal, but I would like to give a shout out to some neglected CBS TV shows from the past, specifically 1982's Bring Them Back Alive, 1985's Other World, which lasted eight episodes, and 1982's QED with Sam Watterson in an early role. Go find them, kids. Google them. Look them up. Keep circulating the tapes. I have a couple of quick shout outs as well. We'll, we'll make this real brief if I can. Oh, please do. Uh, yes. Yeah. Shout out to Brent who made up our new logo and the new logos on our shirts now available in our T public store. Thank you, Brent so much. The new designs look great. The details in there are in the show notes. If anyone wants to pick up a shirt, shout out to Robin for writing some of the fun facts on the show tonight. If any of them made you giggle, and then that was clearly one of hers and not one of mine. And the biggest shout out I have to give is to Jeff, the who organized this whole event. When I was doing research for what a trivia game show should sound like or what might appeal to me when I was first developing this podcast, I, I downloaded like 20 of them and listened to them over again, including Jeff's show, Stuff I Never Knew Trivia Podcast. I would have got that answer right in the last round. One by one, however, I stopped following many of them, many of the shows, but just because I didn't get anything out of them. You know, there the, the wasn't, wasn't, wasn't reaching me, you know, but I've always kept on Jeff's and mostly because Jeff has this very warm and laid back, good energy about him as a host. I've heard episodes that he's done where the guests were like straight up rude to him or inconsiderate and, but nothing phases the guy. The guy's just like rock steady and he just laughed all through it and, and kept on with his good nature through it all. So I thought, wow, I want to be like that guy. You know, he, the, the show's good. The content's good, but Jeff really makes his show. So I just want to give him a shout out. I want to say that I'm sorry that there's no back to the future questions on my Gen X trivia show, which seems like it should have been a marriage made in heaven, but hopefully we'll have you on the show and, and, and we can for sure have that going on. So wait, I just want so to say, wait, let me get this straight. We could have been rude to you this entire time. And I didn't know it. You're not on Jeff's show, bro. You're on my show. You can't be rude to me here. Jeff, Jeff is an easygoing dude. I, I'm a little more, uh, okay, anyways, moving on. And you know what? Yeah, thank you to everybody who allowed us this opportunity to come out here and entertain slash annoy you all. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and for you to invite me to this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Our last shout out is to all the people in the comment section and those who stuck around to this late of a, a show. Uh, I know it's kind of late for a lot of us old timers to be listening to. Uh, to podcasts and watching some streaming. So thanks for sticking around. You guys are doing your part to save Generation X. And thank you so much. But that's enough of that. Enough talk. Here's the scores. If you're playing solo, we're using the Scooby-Doo scoring system for grading the quiz today. A score of 27 to 29 points is the grade of an A. 
and that earns you the rank of your choice of either Shaggy or Scooby. Only in a Gen X quiz can the top grade represent two cowards who only want a hot box in the mystery machine while getting loaded on Scooby snacks. We salute you. You're doing your part to save Generation X. Well done. (laughs) A score of 24 to 26 points. That is enough for a B. And that earns you the rank of your choice of either Daphne or Velma. Velma. (laughs) Totally Velma. Hashtag team Velma, right? Oh, yeah. It seems like these two ladies were the ones always figuring out the mysteries and were the real MVPs of the crew. However, the reason they're a B here is that Velma had one fatal flaw that kept her from being unstoppable. That is, if she ever lost her glasses, it was game over for the whole gang. Hey, my glasses! I can't see without them! A score of 21 to 23 points is enough for a C, and that earns you the rank of Fred. Okay, can we be real here for a second? Every Scooby-Doo episode seems to follow the same formula. The gang drives through the night and comes across a potentially haunted location and gets down to business looking for clues. Then, for some dumb reason, the four humans decide to split up into search parties. While that's already inadvisable, Fred, seemingly the self-appointed leader, has to go and make things predatorial. Whenever pairing is made, Fred dictates who goes off together, right? Invariably, he pairs himself up with Daphne, who is clearly the subject of his intense romantic interest. No matter what case they're on, Fred never fails to get Daphne alone with some darkened room so he can, quote, investigate. What a creep. And you can't spell creep without C. I'd also like to point out to you, I don't even know he should be as high as C. This is a man who obviously can't even remember to put gas or new tires on his van in every episode. (laughs) So I question that. Half of the mysteries would never get solved if they just had a full tank of gas, right? Oh, gee, gang, we've got nine flats and only four tires, and we're out of gas. <laughs> okay. And a score of 18 to 20 points is good enough for a D, and that can only be Mr. Wickles, the curator of the county museum, dressed up as a black knight, was good enough to scare visitors away during his art forgery scheme, and is also good enough to barely make a passing grade of a D here tonight. Yes, might have gotten away with it too. It wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. And finally, if you scored 17 or less, well, that's a failing grade. That means you've earned the rank of, yep, you guessed it, Scrappy Doo. (laughs) Scrappy was a ploy to boost ratings, but we all saw right through that. And his name is now on the Mount Rushmore of show killers like Sam from Different Strokes, Ted McGinley from Happy Days, among anything else. Yeah, (laughs) anything else, yeah. And Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch. In fact, if Fonzie didn't already jump the shark by the time Scrappy D showed up, then we might all be saying a show might scrap its pants every time the show wore out its welcome. I I hope you guys enjoy your grades. And unless you got a Scrappy Doo, we're going to get out of here. We hope you've enjoyed playing along this episode of The Home Game, and we'll post your score on the Facebook group page. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a Patreon account set up for those who would like to take advantage of the special offers available for becoming a contributor. Or if you just want to send some appreciation for what we're trying to do here, we also offer our Venmo account at Who Will Save Gen X. Detailed information is available in the show notes for both of those ways to send the show a little bit of love. If you have questions, comments, or would like to sign up to become either a guest on either the home game or the regular version of the game show, you can email me at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. 
We'd love to hear your feedback, and we invite you to become a friend of the show. Well, that's it for this edition of The Home Game, everybody. Once again, we'd like to thank my special guests for being on the show, as well as all of you watching the live stream. Stream. We'll be back with our regular version it's of the live. podcast. Yeah. We'll be back with our regular version of the podcast in the next episode, where we will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later. Sing it if you know it, everybody. Sucking on chili dogs. Sucking on a dog. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on chili. Sucking on a dog. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on chili dogs. A little ditty about Jack and Diane. Two American kids sucking on a chili dog. Nice. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.